Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. It's the Sunday Showcase on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Welcome back to Mutual Presents, episode 424. I'm Jack Ward, right here with my co-pilot for your passage to yesteryear, Penny the Cat. I yell, land ho! But it should be, as Penny and I begin our next exciting voyage on the Scarlet Queen with Ah Sin and the Balinese Beaux Arts Ball and Grafter's Fort and the Black Pearl of Galahad Bay. Hoist the mizzen past by winding those clocks back to a time of sea adventure. Position 6 degrees 42 minutes south, 116 degrees 6 minutes east. Wind light, sky fair. Remarks Departed port of Bulilong, Bali after trouble over stores. Reason for trouble Ah Sin and the Balinese Beaux Art Ball. Three days out of Makassar, we rode the long swells that rolled out of the Java Sea before the winds of the northwest monsoon. And on the morning of the 4th, we raised the peak of Gunung Agung, with its guardian formation of cumulus clouds, streaming eastward in the brilliant sky and shadowing the island of Bali spread out below. Kang's orders for the port of Bulilong were some of the most important we'd received on the voyage. We were to take on stores. Not ordinary stores, but salvage gear, diving gear, heavy jury anchors. All equipment to be used at the end of our quest for Kang's $10 million treasure of Chinese relics. To be used to lift it from hiding and place it in the cargo holds of the Scarlet Queen. By two o'clock that afternoon, we'd fought the treacherous currents that swirl in and out of the shallow indentation that is Bulilong Harbor. And by sunset, we'd found a berth at a small public quay. After we were secure, my chief mate Gallagher and I headed up into town to find our contact, a man named De Groot, the owner of the Bunkai Ship Chandlers. The building was easy to find. The first premonition I had that anything was wrong was the blast of jasmine perfume that swept over me as we walked in. But I couldn't make myself believe it until I saw the brocade-wrapped mountain of flesh and the childlike features lost in the billowing fat 
the lacy handkerchief drawn through the large jade ring, and the dainty, dimpled hands. He still looked Chinese, and he still sounded like Charles Lawton. Well, the dashing Captain Connie. So nice to see you again. Oh, Sam. Stinky! Where's the Groot? What the devil are you doing here? A stroke of luck, sir. I reached an agreement with the Groot just last evening. At the moment, I am the owner of the bunker ship chandler. That's enough for me. I'm getting out. Now, just hold on. Don't y'all go going off half cock now. Very concisely put, Mr. Mankin. It couldn't have been. The Mangan we'd run into in Tientsin had died. But this one looked like him and talked like him. And more to the point, like the other one, he sported a pearl-handled Frontier model Colt. And so Mutual continues The Voyage of the Scarlet Queen, written by Gil Dowd and Bob Tolman, and starring Elliot Lewis. Scarlet Queen, proudest ship to plow the seas, bound for uncharted adventure. Every week, a complete entry in the log, and every week, a league further in the strange voyage of the Scarlet Queen. Let's have it. What do you want? You find me in dire need of your help, sirs. Yeah, I'll bet. Now, don't go interrupting us then all the time, will you? Uh, Just let him have his say. Thank you, Mr. Mangan. Oh, by the way, sirs, this is Mr. Mangan, my confidential secretary. You possibly remember his brother. Brother? Uh, deceased in the line of duty. Yeah, I remember. I must say that although I do miss Richard, his brother Robert has developed into a most satisfactory associate. Uh, but my problem... I am caught between two equally powerful forces, and I must admit I'm at a loss as to which way to turn. Upon the one side, Mr. Constantino. Upon the other, your own employer, Kuji Kang. Both gentlemen hungering after esteem and wealth, and... Uh, <laughs> dear me, I find myself embroiled. Yeah, I'll bet you fought to stay out, all right. Huh? Oh, yes, indeed. I made myself most unavailable. Yeah. I, I was, in fact, taking my ease of, aboard one of my pearling luggers off the tanning bars when I was approached by a courier from Mr. Constantino, a quite superior type of chap, Roland Galter by name. Yeah. I disliked him immediately, but alas, he offered me $10,000 merely to describe to him the stores that are to be placed aboard your ship. He could thus duplicate the order, and Constantino would also be suitably equipped for the final struggle to wrest the fortune from its hiding place. So you turned it over to him? Uh, not yet. Hmm? What's holding you up? To be quite candid, sir, I have become obsessed with a notion. Yeah. To wit, that perhaps you might prevail upon Mr. Kang to offer me a slightly larger sum to turn your supplies over to uh, you. Well, if there is a... Now, just wait a minute. Hold on, will you? Just wait a minute. Don't you all go getting riled up in that tone of voice. Our sin was just trying to set your minds to thinking. He could just as well have told me to pick you off as you come through that door. He didn't. He's just trying to be friendly. Thank you, Mr. Mangan. That will be quite enough, I think. Well, Captain? What have you done with the Groot? Mr. LeGroote is vacationing at a secluded spot near the center of the island. And he told me to tell you that he don't want to be disturbed. Yeah, that's logical. Well, Captain? Well, where's the closest cable office so I can get word to Kang? 
You would, in your message, suggest that he make a counteroffer? What else? Splendid. Uh, then I've anticipated you. I've already communicated with Mr. Kang, uh, painting clearly the situation, including the uh, intense danger in which you and your chief officer find yourself. What do you mean by that? Mr. Galter, sir, a most dislikable fellow. He would kill you both should you learn of the plan, or should the plan fail. So you see, you are indeed in intense danger. Yeah, thanks. Now then, shall we go? Go where? To meet your enemy, Mr. Galter, and his charming comrade, Loretta. For the occasion, I prepared a small welcoming ceremony at my residence here. Thanks again, but I think we'd rather go back to the ship. Mr. Mangan? Maybe Arsene's invite was too polite for you. Just move, Dad Gummit. Get headed out that door. Arsene's house was like the resident governor's palace. And his small welcoming ceremony, from what we could see of it from the entrance hall, was the South Seas version of the Beaux-Arts Ball. I have found it a great boon in situations of tenseness to call upon pleasure in generous portions. Oh, I see. I can tell from here it's been a great party. Yeah, but don't forget, Corny, I'm going to be riding herd on you from someplace. Thank you, Mr. Mangan. Shall we go in? Ah, Sin minced across the hall with Red and me following in the backwash of jasmine that flowed from him. Mangan brought up the rear. The big room we entered was well supplied with people, food, and liquor. The people were mostly Balinese and mostly female, which meant that they were of a type world hailed for coloring, form, and costume. The food was heaped from one end of 40 feet of polished teak table to the other, and had come from every corner of the world. The bar was supplied with the same eye toward variety. As we reached the center of the room, a subtle young girl stepped onto a low platform began rising to the rhythms of a few musicians who squatted beside her. <laughs> if we gotta have trouble, Skipper, this is the way I want it. This is the way you've got it, so watch your step, will you? You could enjoy my little party, gentlemen. Yeah, it's great. Could be very relaxing. Indeed. The true purpose of such fair and such company. Mr. Mangan, uh, take Mr. Gallagher to the bar. Yes, sir. Come on, Redhead. <laughs> See you later, Skipper. Yeah, Red. Now, sir... If you will come with me, you shall meet the other element in our little triad. Galter and his charming comrade were waiting for us in a quieter corner. He was an outstanding, heavy-featured, stocky, half a head shorter than I, carrying his cargo a little too much drink. But Loretta... Loretta was different. Auburn hair loosely framing a delicately tanned face... Eyebrows arching over soft brown eyes with lashes that almost but not quite touched the eyebrows. And a habit of caressing her own full mouth with her fingertips, though she liked it too. Like all good hosts, Captain Carney, I like to surround myself with people of all types. Here is my Caucasian display. Miss Loretta Finley oh. and Mr. Roland Galton. I, I resent that Caucasian display outside. Oh, come now, a mere pleasantry. All right. I resent that kind of pleasantry. Then. Oh, Roland, drop it. No, you don't like my attitude. All right, I'll take it out with me when I go, if the kind Oriental will still allow me the use of the room. Good night. Surly pig. Oh, come, come, come now, my dear. Mr. Calder shall in no way lessen the pleasures of the evening. Shall he, Captain? Mm, the rest of the guests seem to be living through it. Yes. Indeed. 
And in the face of food, drink, and music, uh, why not live? <laughs> I will look into the welfare of your chief officer, sir. In the meantime, I hope that you two will enjoy each other as well as my husband. Did that sound a little pointed to you? A little, yeah. He takes his name too seriously. <laughs> Come on, let's have a drink or something. That's as good a way to start as any. She was not only beautiful, but she was led by instinct and well-versed in using the same instinct on others. We went from the bar to the wide-screen veranda, then to some comfortable rattan furniture in a secluded corner of the softly-scented garden. What's the matter, Phil? What could be? Just wishing I knew you better. Why? So I'd know why you were here. In Bulalong? No, no. Here. Oh. Because you appealed to me. Hmm? How about Galder? He doesn't appeal to me anymore. You do. Come here, darling. <sighs> See? Yeah. Are you glad? I'm human. I know you are. Oh, I know you are, darling. What are you telling me? No, no, my arm, you're hurting me. You bring me out here to get me out of the way? No, Phil. Really, I didn't know he was going to do anything. Phil, let go. Get down and stay there. I'll tell you later if you're lying or not. By the time I got to the house, the place was in a frenzy. I saw Gallagher crumpled on the floor, and Galter was stepping over his body. It only took one look to see that he was anything but drunk. What's going on, Galter? Okay, Connie. Keep moving this way. What have you done to Gallagher? Man, his size is safer on the floor. You look pretty good there yourself. Hell, don't try it, Connie. Stop talking before I do. Right now, that gun doesn't scare me. It makes me mad. Go on, get mad. Everybody's out in the open now. What do you mean by that? I've seen to it that the message from our syndic Kang never got out of bully long, Connie. Whatever bargaining to be done will be done by me, which means none. Now, turn around and face the door. Okay, it's your party, Gordon. Where are we going? You really want to know? You're staying here. Wait. The throb in my head, the pain of an arm twisted under me were the lines that finally pulled me back to what was left of my world. It was inky dark. I was lying on a floor. Warm enough. Such a warm... Skipper? You here, too? Yeah. So I've I see him. I've been laying here for four or five years, I guess, not moving for fear that clunk head would smash me again. What happened, Red? I was outside, being human. Well... All of a sudden, Galter had our sin laid out like we were, and then, dang it. Galter's quite a boy. Where's our sin now? A couple of natives dragged him and Mangan out the back way. Yeah. My head's got a knot the size of a heaving lead. If I ever get my Hold hands it, on that... Hold it. What is it? I don't know. Listen. 
Bill? Quiet, Red. Yeah? Thank heaven I finally found the room. What do you want? Phil, believe me, I didn't draw you away from the house for any reason except my own. Listen, I can get you out of here. Will you trust me? Candidly, no. Here's Mangan's gun. Now will you trust me? Not if you gave me the Royal Dutch Artillery. Everything you do is just too pat. This, for example, why? Because I want to get rid of Galter. I want you to kill him. You're faded. I'll take that one. Okay, gorgeous. Lead the way. It isn't much, but it's the best offer we've had since the lights went out. I didn't know where she was taking us, but wherever it was, we went on foot. We picked up the smells of the harbor at low tide. Then the greasy shine of the water. She led us out onto a pier. To a shack set up on pilings. We opened the door. Mixed with the stench of mud, there drifted the faint odor of jasmine. And huddled in a corner, tied hand and foot, and with his head hanging in shame, his robe soiled and torn, was our sin. Across from him was Mangan. Leave me. I beg of you. Go. Leave me to my shame. Well, that's a fine reaction, isn't it? Oh, now, Sam, don't go acting that way. I demand not to request that you leave me the infinitesimal bit of face I might save from this cruel series of events. Well, unloose me, Corny. I'm going gunning for a varmint named Galt. Uh, you're going to race me. Yeah, spread your hand so I can get this blade between them. Yeah. Get his feet, will you, Red? Oh, boy. You know where Galt will go? I've got a mighty strong hunch. Huh? If he's looking for them supplies and you only don't find them in the warehouse, I figure he'd go right back to our Sam's house. Where they at? There you are. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Oh, well, say, uh, ain't that that little old coat of mine that you got? Yeah. Here, Mangan, you can have it. Well, look up there now. <sighs> All right, now. Now, don't you fret none, Austin. If I could see but one small glimmer of hope. Oh, buck up, you old horse thief. Look, we don't have time to stay here and argue with you. Come on, Austin. We're going to save your face. Asin's house was still lighted when we got there. The main room still cluttered by the table full of food, the refuse left by the people who'd been there. Gallagher and Mangan started through the place looking for Galter. Asin, Loretta, and I stayed in the big room to watch the exit. It was about five minutes after the search started that we heard Mangan flush him. Heads up, everybody. Here I come. I moved toward the door that led from the long hallway. I heard him running toward me. Then when he broke from the doorway, I made a short ten-foot rush. I hit him from his left, my right shoulder driving into his legs just above the knees so that my body swung in front of him and he crashed over me. The bruises gun barrel had left behind my ear got bumped in the first impact. And with the anger the pain brought me, I let him up. Stood back, then went in again to regain the face I'd lost when he gun whipped me. Well, doggone. You get yourself into a temper when you get to going, don't you? <laughs> Watch it, Mangan. You don't come out of it for a while, either. Bill, darling, are you all right? Get away from me. Leave me alone. Bill! You can kill him yourself. I've had enough of him. Captain, when the final accounting is made... Shut I... up! Oh, calm down, Skipper. You've had your fun. He slugged me, too, and I didn't even get a crack at him. Uh, sorry, Red. Uh. Well, who's doing the bargaining now? I've tried, Phil. But if you'll let me, I'd like to try again. All right, if you want to do something, go mix me a drink. All right, Phil. Captain, your instinct is infallible. What do you mean by that? Sending that dreadful woman away. See here. What? 
proving that Galter is not the only one capable of intercepting cables. This missive from Constantino addressed not to Galter, but to Miss Loretta Finley. Peruse it, sir. The cable didn't make me feel any worse or any better, but it did make sense. Loretta Finley was the loyal Constantino worker. Since we were so close to Kang's treasure, Galter had decided to hide the information about my equipment, outfit a ship himself, and enter the race on his own. So finally, the warm trip to the softly scented garden made sense. Well, sir, would you like to claim her yourself for chastisement? No. You can have her. Oh, splendid, splendid. Mr. Magan, go apprehend Miss Loretta. We will sell her for a handsome profit to the first party leaving for the Asia mainland. Well, we could send her down to Texas. That'd take the fight out of her. Well, sir, when the final accounting, uh, I believe it is safe to assume that we may part as we met on equal footing and as the best of friends. My broken furniture and dishes, a not inconsiderable item notwithstanding. Your face is all right? Indeed. Since you, my friend, saw to it that Galter's activities were terminated on my premises, I feel that I have indirectly but conclusively saved the situation. Well, that's a boy's man. I know you'd come up, Buckingham. My debt to you is even now so great that my greatest sacrifice barely suffices to even the score. I give to you your supplies. Well, you're very generous, Arsene. <laughs> Indeed. Thank you, sir. I, I may say that you are a most estimable man yourself, sir. By nine the next morning, the equipment was aboard... We pushed out against the tide toward the Flores Sea and the next port, an anchorage off Palmahera. Our bow lifted under the deep water swell, and the damp monsoon rolled down across our port quarter. The crew, keyed to excitement by the diving gear we'd taken aboard, jumped to their stations, reminded again that it was an important ship they'd signed on. up the mast, flapped hopefully for a number of seconds, then settled back comfortably under the wind that finally filled it. The ship ran up, then the mizzen, and the Scarlet Queen slashed into the swells as though impatient, as though the wind and sea she had were not enough for her to work with. Skipper, I uh, want to ask you a question. Fire away, Red. Uh, well, uh, when you said you were out in the garden acting human, just what did you mean? Well, Red, I was... Uh, huh? I was just admiring all the glories of Bali, that's all. That's human. Uh, yeah, that's what I thought, of course. I knew you wouldn't be wasting your time with Loretta. What do you know about it? <laughs> what do you think you were babbling about when you were coming to after that knock on the head? Yeah, <laughs> What do you know about that? Nothing. I'm waiting for you to tell me. Would a, a drink help, Skipper? To bring back memories or drown regret? Suit yourself, Skipper. Okay, I will. After you, mate. After you. 
log entry, The Catch Scarlet Queen. Miles traveled from San Francisco, 17,172. Sky fair, wind light. Ship secure for night. Signed, Philip Carney, Master. will invite you to sail into further adventure on the voyage of the Scarlet Queen next week, same time. Protocol, Galela Halmahera. The Voyage of the Scarlet Queen stars Elliot Lewis as Phil Carney with Ed Max as Gallagher and tonight featured Bill Conrad as Arsene with Barton Yarborough as Mangan. Galter was Paul Fries and Loretta and Tobin. Music scored and conducted by Richard Aron. The Scarlet Queen, produced by James Burton, is written by Gil Dowd and Bob Tallman. This program came to you from Hollywood. Stay tuned now for Mr. Show Business, the man who brings Broadway straight to your door. Yes, it's Billy Rose pitching horseshoes in just a moment, followed by the newspaper of the air. This program was transcribed. This is the Mutual Don Lee Broadcasting System. KHJ Los Angeles. Hear ye, hear ye, delicious gum, made by Adams. Adams Clove, Beeman, Pepsin, Chiclet, and Dentine. For chewing gum with long-lasting flavor, buy gum by Adams. Entry, the Catch Scarlet Queen, Philip Carney, Master. Position, 2 degrees, 25 minutes north, 128 degrees, 13 minutes east. Wind light, sky fair. Remarks, left anchorage, Cayu Bay, Halmahera, after unscheduled voyage to island of Batanta. Reason for voyage, grafters fort in the black pearl of Galela Bay. <laughs> Shortly before the Civil War, a daring plan was conceived to speed the mail between East and West. It was the famous Pony Express. On April 3rd, 1860, the first Pony Express riders set out from St. Joseph, Missouri, with a pocket of lightweight mail. Along the express route, other riders and fresh horses waited at relay stations in order that the mail could be carried without a break. Ten and one-half days after the first rider left St. Joseph, a Pony Express rider galloped into Placerville, California. The mail had crossed the country in record time. For a short time, the Pony Express continued its colorful operation as the riders fought against hardship and danger to bring the East and West closer together. But while the service was fast, it was also expensive. Too expensive to be continued. In 1861, the Pony Express was discontinued, but not before it had become a part of the American legend. 
Today, the Pony Express is remembered at both ends of the route. In St. Joseph, Missouri, is the Pony Express Monument, which recalls the courage of the riders. At the other end of the old route is the Pony Express Museum in Sacramento, which at one time was a relay station of the Express. The Pony Express Monument and Museum remind us of the rich heritage that as Americans we share and stand ready to defend. It was the tenth morning after we left the island of Bali that we pushed into Malacca Passage and swung close to the hundred-mile chain of islands that fringes the west coast of Palmahera. By noon, we trimmed our sail and started the channel run past Moritai. It was then that my chief mate, Gallagher, noted the receipt of a radio message in the log of the Scarlet Queen and came to the wheel to report it to me. It's an NC, Skipper, the schooner Regina, aground in Galela Bay. Captain and mate ashore. The message told only a part of the story. We found the Regina, all right, 50 yards offshore. Her stern awash to the main house, her back broken on a reef. It wasn't until we'd coasted by her on the landward side that we saw the rest. There was a man aboard. He was native and he was dead. He'd been hanged from the foremast, and his body revolved and swung slowly from side to side as the current and the reef fought continually for possession of the battered hull. <laughs> And so Mutual continues The Voyage of the Scarlet Queen, written by Gil Dowd and Bob Tallman, and starring Elliot Lewis. The Scarlet Queen, proudest ship to plow the seas, bound for uncharted adventure. Every week a complete entry in the log, and every week a league further in the strange Voyage of the Scarlet Queen. take me long to decide that I didn't want any part of this particular salvage and rescue job. I pushed the throttle open and swung the wheels of port to make the shortest turn possible back toward the open sea. The circle took us in toward shore, and at the closest point, the rest of the situation broke. By those dirties, what's going on? Keep down, Red. 50 caliber. I'd recognize that voice anywhere. It'll make a sieve out of the queen before we could get her out of range. Kill the motor, Red. Okay. All right. We'll drift in. Drop your hook! We'll take you to the bottom! What's the idea? I said drop your hook! I said what's the idea? Was that close enough? Gallagher. Yeah? Let go of the bower anchor. Okay. A hand in your crowder. You're a good head, Captain. Start putting your small boat over the side. You and your chief mate, come ashore. I hope I ain't putting you to any trouble. I'll get moving up the trail, Captain. I don't waste no words. I want passage out of here. I want to go to Batana. My mate, a native girl, and me. It's about south-south east of this island. That's not where we're going. 
All right, Captain, that's where I'm going. With you or without you. The shack we were approaching was typically native, set in a clearing in the Nipah Palms. A hundred yards behind it was the fringe of the fairly large village of Galela with the inevitable tin-roofed frame building belonging to the single Chinese trader. As we swung around the corner of the shack, I saw two more machine guns set up to cover the village. In front of their muzzles at the edge of the clearing, there were four or five dark-skinned bodies sprawled in the sun where they'd fallen. Two people waited for us in the shack. All right, get inside and sit down. One I took to be the mate, swarthy, slightly built, with a faint smile twisting his thin lips. The other was the ugliest native girl I've ever seen. Flattened nose, a squat, sagging figure, and earlobes hanging almost to her shoulders from the weight of the G-jaws shoved into the gaping perforations. I couldn't figure why anyone would want to take her anyplace. If one would carry Banner on one ship... Shut up, you sniveling cow... Get over there and sit down. All right, never mind, Louise. Now, let's talk it over, Captain. The beggars are after my pearls. They were diving for me. We had fair luck, and now they want them for themselves to take over to Caillou Bay or to trade to that Chinaman in the village. They wrecked my ship and... And they would starve us out in time if we stay here and let them, which we don't think is a very good idea. Huh, Grafter? You got any more to say, Grafter? I said enough, didn't I? You've been pumping nothing but lies, Grafter. These Halma herons have been diving for quite a few generations. They don't have to rush machine guns for a handful of pearls. You don't have to hang them from a mast to keep them in line. What do you think of this fellow, Grafter? Uh, let him blow. That's all I have to say. Come on, Red, we're leaving. Okay, Skipper. Right, don't try it. Let them come, Grafter. We had to try it because there's no place to phone for help on Halma Hera. The chair I threw at Grafter sent him off balance, but it stopped things for only a second. Red got his hands on Louis too late. The automatic flashed twice and Gallagher's knees buckled. He crumpled to the floor, his hands clutching at Louis and finally dragging him down, too. I forgot Grafter. I forgot everything but the red stain that was spreading from the side of Gallagher's head running down his neck. Already soaking his jumper, I headed for Louis. I landed on him. I was reaching for his throat when... My head exploded under Grafter's gun muzzle and I went out of the fight. I don't know for how long, but when I came back, Red was still alive. He'd gotten to his feet. He was half blinded by blood, but he was still fighting. He'd lifted Louise by his belt, and he was swinging his body at Grafter like a club. with nothing but heart keeping him moving. I got to my feet and started across the room to help him, but I couldn't get there. I grabbed the wall to keep me up. And the last thing I saw before I went out again was the squat, splay-footed native girl, Bonner. She found a piece of broken furniture. She held it like a club, and she was moving in for the kill. And then the picture swam in my eyes, turned gray, and then blacked out. When I could see, or knew that I was seeing again, I was still on my feet and walking. I didn't know where I was or how I'd gotten there. But I was out of the shack, out of sight of the village... Then I remembered the final picture of Red. They didn't have a reason in the world to stop short of killing him. Suddenly everything went out of me. It was kind of a relief to pass out. I believe you slipped any long time. Uh, you come awake now? Red? Red? Uh, me no red. Me sing she. For a long time, trader Galela. 
Oh. Oh. I think a man belong along machine gun hit your head too hard. The grafter. Oh. No, not hard enough. Who'd you say you were? Oh, me think she, trader. You own house belong to me. A Galela village boy is my friend. But they bring you along this place. Yeah, why? Oh, it's hard. I tell them. I want to help you. Uh, you like need help? I don't know what I need. What you and Galela boys want? Oh, I want your fast passage to a place of ancestor for those who belong to machine gun. You want to get rid of Grafter and Louis, too, huh? Ah, uh, hey, your help. A Galela boys' help. Very soon. All of that dead long time. What did they do to Galela boys? How'd they say, long you? Well, they tell me they find plenty pearls that Galela boys want to take pearls back. Oh, that too. Catch many pearl. Mm, many pearl. Well, you talk straight, Singh. Maybe we all help. Oh, you listen. All right. Long time. Very big shark spirit. He said this. Hmm? When Galela boy catch a big black pearl, keep pearl. How <laughs> many wives come to village, you savvy? Savvy, and they found the black pearl. Oh, one black pearl. Grafter and Louise could keep all the rest, but they still wouldn't give it up. Must be a wonderful pearl, Sing. Uh, bring much money. Plenty of wives. Uh, you help poor Galela boys. They catch your wives. You catch your men belong along machine gun. Sounds like a fair trade. Sing, do you have any guns here? Uh, no guns. You have dynamite? Not dynamite. You savvy dynamite? Oh, I'm savvy. Sure. Oh, catch your men a fish along dynamite. Yeah. You know one boy, he's strong swimmer. He swim to my ship. Oh, I know men a strong swimmer. One boy. Hmm. You tell him go long way up beach. You tell him swim long way out. Come mm. my ship from reef. You savvy? Ah, oh, savvy. They no see from beach. Good. You go bring him here. He take note from me to ship. He bring back box with dynamite and gun. Go on out. Chop, chop. <laughs> very good. Oh, very soon joyous. Boom. All oh, that fly away to ancestor. It took a little better than an hour and a half for Singh's boy to get to the ship and back. Another 45 minutes to cap and fuse the dynamite. All right, listen, Singh. Uh-huh. You take dynamite to beach near machine guns. Not close, you savvy? Uh-huh. Stay in shadows. Oh, like a tiger. Yeah, like a tiger. Then as soon as you get there, you light off dynamite and throw it. Uh, like a soldier. Not at the machine gun, Singh. Some on the beach, some in the water. Uh-huh. Those at machine gun will fire at noise, savvy? Oh, what the matter? Throw to machine gun. Because they may be hide black pearl. You kill them, they can't tell you where. Uh-huh. Savvy? Ah, Savvy. Oh, you're very strong, man. <laughs> very smart, like a thing. I throw to beach, to water. Yeah. Then you come back here. Wait for me. Oh, where you go? I go to their house. Grafter is there. When he hears dynamite and maybe machine gun, he runs out of house. And I catch him like this. <laughs> you strong, man. Uh, you have a minute for in the village tomorrow. I go now. After he left, I pocketed my forty-five and skirting the edge of the silent, darkened village, I headed for the shack in the clearing. The gun was still in my hand when I heard the faintest rustle of almost silent feet behind me. The safety catch snapped off as I whirled and I was ready for a hip shot. But I didn't use it. Please, don't cut down. Sing. You are savvy long me. Uh, Sing, what the devil are you doing here? Why aren't you on the beach with the dynamite? Oh, gotcha. Two little boys. Uh, they like to shoot dynamite. Sing, if you mess this up, I'll... Look. You stay this place, uh-huh. right here. I go to shack. You don't come along with me. Ah, oh, Sabe, Sabe. I stay this place, in shadow, like hiding tiger. I didn't risk a look through the window when I got to the shack to see what was in store for me. I inched to a position about three feet from the doorway and waited. It wasn't for long. Then the first charge blew. 
And the answering burst of machine gun fire blasting at flashes and shadows told me that the reactions on the beach were normal. Almost simultaneously, I heard feet hit the floor inside and start for the door. I moved into position just as he stopped in the doorway. It wasn't Grafter. It was even more to the point. It was Louis. And I smashed my right hand, automatic and all, into the middle of his sneering face. Everything I felt, grief, hate, the continually beating desire to avenge Red went into the blow. Get up, Louis. What are you doing here? Get on your feet! Got some talking to do first. So help me what I'll do to you after that. I don't know. I got no talk with you. Don't, Louise. Help me keep my hands off of you. Be careful what you say. Now sit up. What do you want? I want the black pearl. What the devil? What black pearl? How about it? The black pearl from Galela Bay. You're off your head. We didn't get any black pearls here. We didn't even work the beds. We ran in here from some weather, and the melee's attacked. Why do you keep asking for it, Louis? Why do you think that I lie with a forty-five in my face? I'm telling you the truth. Uh, you, you want to see our pearl, the, the pearl from a year and a half of working with the Malukas? I, I show you in the table there. Sure, Louis. Go get your pearls. We got the sack off the ship. I show you what we sweat for. It was as almost as though he told me what he was going to do. And I let him. He opened the drawer. And I knew from the way his hand spread, forefinger stretched for a trigger guard that I was right. I let him pick it up. And when I saw the glint of metal, I fired. His right arm jerked between elbow and shoulder and swung back loosely. His fingers relaxed and the gun dropped back into the drawer. You got a left arm, Luis. You want to try it again? Don't you know I want you to, Luis? I saw you kill my chief mate. Don't you know I want you to try something so I can kill you? You're crazy. Maybe you're right, Luis. I didn't kill your chief mate. No? Maybe I was dreaming, huh, Luis? If somebody killed him, it wasn't me. Oh, you dirty little... Listen, Luis, the pearl. Tell me where the black pearl is. I don't know what you mean. We don't have any black pearl. It is the truth. You machine-gunned the melees that came after it. They wrecked your ship to get it, remember? The men in the village want it, Luis. They want the wives it'll bring. Mr. Uh, Captain! Uh, uh, what is it, thing? I can't I turn around. I am watchful along window. But there's big danger belong this house. Uh, I, I think I know... What do you mean, thing? Uh, please, make a step away from straight line belong window. All right, I savvy. Big danger come from big spirit. Ten seconds later, I learned why Singh had moved me. A heavy hunting spear streaked in through the window. Luis collapsed under the impact. I didn't have to check pulse to know that the spearman, whoever he was, had cheated me out of the final payoff for Gallagher. Oh, that happened, Mr. Copter. I catch a danger away from you. Yeah, thanks, Singh. But you'll never learn about Black Pearl from this fella. He flies there faster, ancestor. Ah, oh, too bad. You come along me. We maybe catch Grafter, huh? Oh, no. All the same with this one. What? You mean dead? Fly on happy wings. Oh, very dead. How? Galela boys put two dynamite very close alongside the machine gun. You killed him? Ah. You plenty fool. Now who tell you where to find Pearl? Oh, Galela boys no want your Pearl no more. No want you? Ah. Uh, Galela boys, I want you one thing. A poor girl belong to Galela village. Poor Bana. You bring her, huh? Me bring her? Where is she? Oh, she along your ship. 
on my ship. Who took her out there? Oh, no fella take her. Uh, she take a fella. He hurt. She took someone? Sing this fella. His name Gallagher? No. Uh, not uh, Gallagher. Uh, you think a name belong to me. What do you mean, saying no savvy? Uh, you talk a name same time you come awake. What? Um, him name, um, uh, Red. Yeah, Red. Are you mm. sure? You no make mistake. Oh, no mistake. A bana she big friend along Red. Uh, you bring her village, belong her, uh, you big friend for Bana. Sing, I don't have time to explain this in case you don't understand it, but uh. I promise if Bana wants to go to the royal wedding in London, I'll take her there. <laughs> on your head. Uh, never mind. That's Banner's private mixture of fish scale, seaweed, and mud. If you try to take it off, I'll have a slit your throat. Besides, I got a gouge across my temple a half inch deep and six inches long. The great one will rest his tongue. The great one? <laughs> yeah. She liked the way I swung Louis around my head. Oh, Red, if you knew what I've been through, I thought you were dead. I almost was. Then Banner walked in and clubbed those two with a, with a chair or something. I passed out. She hid me till dark and brought me out here in a canoe. I promised her a trip to London if she wanted, but I suppose she'd rather have her Galela village. Bana, you want to go ashore now? Ashore? Hmm? Skipper, you're nuts. The great one will rest his raw. Ashore. Well, what's the matter? Sing she said her village was waiting for her with open arms. Oh, I suppose he's right, but not Galela. Her village is on Batanta, the joint where Grafter wanted to go. They were going to deliver her to her husband for a big hunk of ransom. Ransom? To get Bana back? Yeah. Red, let me tell you now, before this starts to make the kind of sense I think it's going to, I've been knocking my brains out trying to locate a black pearl that held a lot of magic until we killed everybody in Grafter's outfit so they couldn't tell me there wasn't any pearl. Oh, yes, there is. What? Yeah. Tell him, Banner. Who is the pearl? One is the wife of the Sultan of Batanta. One was taken by force from one's place by those the great one beat together as saplings. One's noble husband pledged gold, pearls, and bright stones to equal the weight of oneself for one's safe return. Well, that's quite a pile. Yeah, then your buddy Sing Shi horned in on the deal. He got the Malays to wreck Grafter's ship and made his own deal with her old man. Plenty wives for Galela boys. How many? Only 200, and they must be budding. And he led me around by the nose and called himself a simple traitor. If those in whose care I rest would decide upon their demand upon one's husband... One is anxious to journey at once to one's home and husband. Mm, Poor Banner. She don't care who gets the ransom. She just wants to go home. We wasted three days getting Banner to Batanta, convincing her husband that there was no death between us, and getting back to Caillou Bay, where one of Kang's luggers was waiting impatiently with our sailing orders. By one that afternoon, we'd weighed anchor, picked our way through the reefs under power, and nosed into the wind-brushed waters of Malacca Passage once more. The crewmen relieved as always to get their faces pointed toward wide, deep water, jumped to their stations with a will. Big main boom, its sail filling suddenly with a heavy gust, 
swung recklessly to starboard, sending the men at the rail tumbling into prone positions to escape its sweep. Snapped out, and the pull of the sail sent a shudder through the ship. The jibs ran up, then the mizzen. The deck canted beneath me. Our spot in the world took on the atmosphere of speed that comes only from leaning sails, rushing water at the rail, and taut rigging, making a song with the wind. I'm not giving you much of a hand today, Skipper. Ah, forget it, Red. With a head in the shape that yours is in, you'd probably foul us up anyway. Uh, All right. Take my watches, then. I've earned a rest. No argument there, Red. (laughs) But she took good care of you, though. And you can't always have a beautiful nurse. Oh, no, no, no. You and I are thinking of different kinds of beauty, Skipper. The picture of her when she waded into Grafter and Louis. Oh, that was real beauty. And the picture of that hair, that figure, those earlobes when we met her. Ah, that's real nightmare. But I love her. (laughs) All right, if you want to cut in. (laughs) Drink, Skipper? From this distance and with no gang fights in sight, I'm safe on all sides. You're cut in on. After you, mate. After you. Log entry. The Catch Scarlet Queen. 5.30 p.m. Miles traveled from San Francisco. 20,221. Wind fresh. Sky fair. Carrying full sail. Ship secure for night. Signed, Philip Carney. Master. In the exciting history of America's development into the foremost industrial nation in the world, the McCormick Reaper stands out as a monumental invention. Back in the 1830s, the flat, fertile prairie lands of the Middle West were ideal for growing grain. The all-important crop of wheat was easy to sow and to grow, but harvesting the grain was a different matter. A laborer, swinging a large hand scythe, moved slowly down the fields. Even a strong man could cut no more than an acre of grain a day. Farmers had to help each other to harvest crops, but unfortunately all crops ripened at about the same time and had to be harvested in ten days, So it became a practice for farmers to plant only as much grain as the men in each family could reap in that short time. Then came the mechanical reaper, perfected by Cyrus McCormick. His first reaper, made in 1831, was a dismal failure. The noise terrified the horses which pulled the machine. It didn't cut evenly, and it damaged some of the grain. But McCormick was not one to give up easily. He kept working on his invention and secured his first patent in 1834. There was still no demand for his machine, however, so he kept working on it. By 1841, he had a horse-drawn machine resembling a chariot with a cutting arm extending several feet out at one side. As the reaper moved forward, steel fingers separated the grain into bunches of stalks that were cut by a sawtooth action resembling today's barber clippers. A large reel revolved around the cutting arm, each blade bending a section of wheat down and pressing it into the cutting action. McCormick sold two of these machines and opened a factory in Chicago. 
In the next two years, he built and sold 80 reapers. By 1851, he was selling 1,000 machines a year. By 1857, 23,000. McCormick's reaper caught on and was making farming in the prairie land productive and profitable. Over the great expanses of the West, our agricultural frontier was rolling toward the Rockies at the rate of 30 miles per year. Yes, at one time, the harvesting of vast fields of grain offered a problem of manpower. But it was solved by the mechanical reaper of Cyrus McCormick, who had the spirit typical of all American inventors, somehow there must be a way. Let's find it. The Voyage of the Scarlet Queen stars Elliot Lewis as Phil Carney with Ed Max as Gallagher. And tonight featured Jack Crucian as Singh with Rolf Sudan as Luis and Virginia Gregg as Banna. Music scored and conducted by Richard O'Rod. The Scarlet Queen, produced by James Burton, is written by Gil Dowd and Bob Tallman. And that's this week's Mutual Presents feature. The Mutual Audio Network brings the best of old-time radio and modern audio theater to the world. Be sure to subscribe through the Mutual Audio Network podcast feed, any of our podcast days, or the Mutual YouTube channel, which includes MadCon and many other extra features and shows. See you all next time at Mutual Presents. Good night. Now, you seem to me to be a connoisseur of the best of radio drama. In which case, make sure you're subscribed to the Monday Matinee Feed. There we have our weekly series of dramatic, theatrical, classic, eclectic, and live radio drama. So yeah, either the main Mutual Audio Network feed for all types and genres of audio drama, or the Monday Matinee. And we'll see you there. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.